Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? <laughs> Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now while the getting's good. <laughs> Hello there, this is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to episode number 730 of The Wicked Library. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. There are now 62 of you donating to the show and making sure we keep the stories coming. We have just three more episodes left after today before we take our break for the end of the year. The library will be closed to the public in November, December, and January. Of course, we'll be back for our annual Chris Massacre episode in late December, and Patreon supporters will get two stories in November two in December, and one in January. The rest of you will have to wait for us to rise again in Season 8, coming this February. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Not only will our Patreon supporters continue to get wicked stories through our break, but our patrons also get completely ad-free shows and other great rewards. Support the show you love and be a part of keeping the show coming. A wicked amount of time and love goes into making the show, so your support lets us know you appreciate the effort. Thank you. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Those reviews really help in keeping the show on the charts and helping others find us, which helps our contributors find new fans. That's the whole point of the show. If you enjoy the interviews at the end of the show, check out the Ninth Story podcast with Jeanette and Alexander for more interviews and discussions with storytellers of all types. Also, don't forget to check out our other popular horror-themed podcast, The Lift, at victoriaslift.com. Now, I wanted to let you know, too, the Wicked Library recently made a life hacker list for nine spooky podcasts guaranteed to frighten you. It's a great list of shows, and we're honored to be listed in such great company. If you'd like to check out the list and see the other shows that are listed, maybe give them a listen for your Halloween, you can find them at a link we created for you. It's thewickedlibrary.com forward slash spooky, and that'll take you to the list, and you can see all the other great shows listed. Now, before we dive into today's story, Highway 16 by Caitlin Marceau, we wanted to let you know that you can hear her story run in the audiobook version of the Shadows at the Door Anthology. The anthology is narrated by yours truly and one of our executive producers, Cynthia Lohman. I also have a story in there. You can grab your copy for one audible credit at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash shadows. Today's author also wanted us to let you know about her event coming up on October 29th at 10 a.m. Eastern called Follow, a social media horror event unlike any other. 
Follow is a modern-day slasher that takes place entirely on social media and is filmed through three unique perspectives to tell one suspenseful story over the course of a day. It's about a young girl named Harley who witnesses a murder and accidentally streams it to her followers. Harley, of course, becomes the murderer's next target, and after sharing so much online, there may be no place safe to hide. Be sure to follow at Harley Jones, that's zero for the O in Jones, at Dylan McAvoy, and at Michigan1981 on Instagram to catch the full film on the 29th. Now, you can also find a link in today's show notes and a link to the event on our Facebook page. And now, without further ado, a story told by David Alt, Nicole Goodnight, and yours truly. seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Highway 16 by Caitlin Marceau He holds the wheel firmly in one hand and adjusts the brim of his Stetson with the other. The leather is old and worn, worked in by use and constant wear. Even though he bought the hat in Alberta, he swears the cowhide smells like Texas. The radio plays one of his favorite country songs, and he turns it up, drowning out the sound of the rain and bobbing his head in time with the music. He hums half-heartedly along with the tune, his gravel voice ripping the song to shreds in his mouth as he scans the road for signs of life. His heater makes a long whining sound and stops pumping out hot air. The window begins to fog up, gray slowly creeping into his line of sight on the bug-smeared window. He grunts in frustration and slams his hand onto the dash. The heater gives an exhausted metal groan and turns back on, filling the pickup truck's cabin with heat once more. He presses his foot down hard on the gas pedal and flies down Highway 16, drumming his hands on the wheel in time with the music. The rain comes down in sheets, the windshield wipers having a hard time keeping up with the falling water. He navigates his truck around a bend, grimacing as the truck slides around the turn on the wet asphalt. He steadies his Ford and continues to drive towards Prince George. Another song begins to play, but the signal's bad. The guitar and banjo twangs mix with the static and falling water to make an unpleasant melody. He reaches out a hand to shut off the radio and, with some alarm, watches as sunspots erupt across his skin. He stares as the skin on the back of his hand grows loose and wrinkled, his nails beginning to yellow. The car begins to rattle and shake, and he turns his attention back to the road. He steers himself off the dirt shoulder and back onto the highway. He glances back at his hands, so much older now, and grabs the pair of lambskin gloves off the passenger seat. He pulls them on without looking, eyes focused on the road, the music still blaring. Eventually, once he's found the courage, he glances at the time on the radio. 9.48 p.m. His breath catches in his throat as he continues down the highway. He hadn't realized it was already so late, that it was already the final day of the cycle, or that he'd need to find another one so soon. He keeps his course along the road, taking the turn slower as his vision begins to worsen. After a couple of kilometers, he finally pops open the glove compartment and takes out his glasses. 
They're old and black-rimmed. The lens is scratched and dirty. He braces the steering wheel with his knee and cleans them with the hem of his shirt. Once they're as spotless as they're going to get, he puts them on and takes the wheel once more. He continues down Highway 16, passing an exit for a truck stop along the way. He doesn't see the sign, thick rain and bad vision keeping it hidden, and he drives right by it, his tank less than an eighth full. His stomach growls, and he immediately regrets skipping out on supper. He reaches around to the passenger's side, rifling through the piles of old clothing and random objects on the leather seat. He feels around until he finds a stale packet of beer nuts and tries to rip it open with his teeth. His hands shake, and the effort of pulling the wrapper open sends sharp jolts of pain shooting into his gums. He drops the snack and grunts in frustration. The light for the gas flicks to life, and he beats his hand against the steering wheel, accidentally honking the horn. He continues down the road for another 20 kilometers before the pickup finally crawls to a halt by the side of the highway. He lies his head on the wheel and closes his eyes, exhaustion flooding him and dread pumping through his veins. He sits silently in the cabin, the music filling the space around him. The noise in the cramped quarters makes him feel claustrophobic, and when he can't take it anymore, he shuts the music off. He opens the visor and, reluctantly, checks himself in the small mirror. His teeth are yellow and stained, his face lined with deep wrinkles, his golden hair now ash-white. What used to be a strong square jaw is now saggy skin and jowls. But his eyes... His eyes never change. Even when he's young, his eyes stay old. He's seen and done too much in the hundreds of years he's been alive for his eyes not to show it. He turns off the car, making sure only his hazard lights are on, and takes the key out of the ignition. He grabs his dark leather jacket and exits the Ford. He pulls on the coat, body cracking with age, and zips it closed before he gets completely drenched. He pulls his collar tight around his neck and adjusts his hat. A few stray droplets of water finding their way past the leather and rolling down his spine. It sends a chill through his bones. The arthritis he didn't have an hour ago beginning to flare up. Locking the doors of the black pickup, he begins walking down the highway, back the way he came. He walks slowly, shuffling along the side of the road. His shoulders are hunched over, and his back is throbbing. He can't help but note the irony that he's going to die on this highway. Of all the places, and all the ways, he can't help but laugh that it's here his heart is finally going to give out. He keeps walking, body shaking and fingers numb. The rain beats him down, his steps getting slower and more painful. His pants are drenched from the heavy rainfall, the water rolling down his pale legs and soaking the insides of his cowboy boots. A bright light flashes in the distance, and he closes his eyes tight, raising a hand to shield them from the brightness. He braces himself and waits for the impact, counting down the seconds until he hears the inevitable screech of brakes from a car stopping much too late. But it never comes. The vehicle gradually comes to a stop a few feet away from him, and the driver shuts off the lights. He lowers his hand, blinking quickly to clear the spots from his vision, and his heart begins to pound fast as he hears a car door open and slam shut. Someone runs towards him, and he smiles to himself as he hears an umbrella popping open. Sir? Sir? A woman calls over the rain. Are you okay? The woman comes towards him and holds the umbrella over his head, shielding him from the rain. He nods his head and shivers, exaggerating the movements so she sees them in the dark. Sir, 
Are you sure you're okay? After a moment, he eventually shakes his head. My car. It ran out of gas and I don't have a cell phone. I must have missed the sign for the gas station. And now I'm all turned around. He says through chattering teeth. I'm so sorry, but could you point me in the right direction? Of course. It's down the road. She tells him, pointing in the direction of his pickup. For another 30 kilometers, and, and then you take the exit. Continue for another three, and you can't miss it. His face falls, and he nods. Thank you, dear. He says, in the most melancholic voice he can muster. I appreciate your help. He smiles at her, turns around, wobbling a bit for effect, and starts heading down the highway the way he came. It takes a few minutes longer than he'd expected, but the woman comes running up to him and shields him with the umbrella once more. Sir, if you would like, I can take you. No, no. I can make it. I'll be fine. With all due respect, it's a long walk there, and an even longer one back if you're going to be hauling fuel with you. It'll take you all night at the rate you're going. Please, let me help you. He nods his head slowly with fake reluctance. She hands him the umbrella and runs back to her small car, starts it up, and pulls up beside the old man. She runs back out and takes the umbrella from the man and holds it over him as he gets himself into the car, pulling one cramped leg in at a time. She throws the soaking wet umbrella into the back seat before running around to her side yet again and getting in. The pair drive down the dark highway and pass his truck parked on the shoulder, lights flashing dimly. Is that yours? Mm Mm-hmm. It's such a big truck for such a small man. Don't your knees hurt getting in? They do now, but they haven't always given me such a hard time. It feels like only yesterday that I was a much younger man. (laughs) Time has a way of sneaking up on people. He glances at the clock. 11.17 p.m. and nods. Yes, it does. They drive the rest of the way in comfortable silence. She keeps her eyes glued to the road while he watches her from under the brim of his hat. She's objectively beautiful. High cheekbones, copper skin, long black hair, and brown eyes that shine faintly in the light of the dashboard. He can't help but wonder how brightly they reflect the moon and stars on a clear summer night. She has full lips and a strong nose, but her chin is soft and round with only the hint of a cleft. He can't help but admire her beauty. It's a kind he's fallen in love with over and over again for generations. She turns her flasher on, even though no one's behind them on the road, and takes the exit off Highway 16. He stares as lights become visible through the rain in the distance. It's so different, he mutters to himself. Oh? This area used to be nothing but forest. There was nothing but trees and wild animals, he tells her as she pulls up to one of the gas pumps, shutting off the car. She laughs politely (laughs) and shakes her head. You must be thinking of somewhere else. This area has been developed since before I was born. My grandparents used to complain about how the nearby towns were always expanding. Trees and wildlife, he says with a raised voice. That's all that used to be here. When I came over from England, they'd just begun to settle this area. It was an interesting time to be alive. Everything felt new. The woman shifts in her seat and her voice sounds too high when she speaks. Sir, I think you're getting yourself mixed up. Too many history books and age can be cruel. My grandmother used to have problems with that. I'm not mixed up, you stupid bitch. I traveled to Fort St. James from London. They promised us all a better life and a world of possibilities. He says, staring at his reflection in the window of the car door. He looks like he's in his 80s now. His hair thin and missing along his crown. Sunspots marking his face. Deep bags hang under his cold green eyes, and his lips are thin and reptilian. He looks away, disgusted. I didn't want to come here, 
he explains. His voice is rough and steady. All traces of confusion and fear gone now. I wanted to stay in London, but people, my family, were starting to notice how unchanging I was. I needed to start all over again. The woman leans away from him, eyes darting between the man beside her and the light coming from the inside of the service station, and places one hand on her belt buckle, and the other on the handle of the door. Sorry. I think you're right. I'm not feeling myself. Between the rain and the long walk, I've had a terrible night. I'm so sorry, dear. He covers his face with a hand and shakes his head. I sound absolutely crazy, don't I? Oh, Lord, I've turned into my grandfather. I'm so sorry if I've made you uncomfortable. Don't worry about it. You've been through a lot tonight. She says fast, turning the door handle and turning her attention to the light across the gas station platform. As she looks away, he takes off one of his lambskin gloves. And as she turns back, he places his bare hand to the side of her face. The touch sends a chill running through her skin, rippling through her body from the point of contact. She tries to move, but finds herself unable. She tries to scream, but her mouth only hangs open in a silent O. Oh. I really am sorry, he says, voice anything but sincere. But I didn't know the other girl was sick. I didn't know she had so little time to borrow. He smiles as the sunspots and wrinkles fade from his skin. His hair grows back thick, white strands turning into golden waves, and his hanging jowls tighten back into a strong jawline. Arthritic and stiff joints find release, his hunched back straightening out, and his eyesight comes back sharper than before. She watches, transfixed, even as her sight begins to dull, as the 80-year-old changes into a young man. Her breathing slows, each inhale a strain on her body. She can feel her blood pumping at a snail's pace through her veins as panic floods her senses. She feels like she's drowning in slow motion as her body begins to shut down, one part at a time, twitching and writhing until she's still and all that's left alive is her mind. Thoughts swirling in terror and fury at her own death. Soon, the synapses in her brain stop firing, and she's still. The man removes his palm from her face and licks her sweat from his hand. He opens and closes his hand, admiring the way taut muscles move under the healthy skin, and tries to shake the pins and needles from his arm. It's the same unpleasant sensation every time he drains someone. Still, remembering his aged reflection in the window of the car, he knows it could be worse. It almost was. He fixes his clothing, arranging it to hang properly on his sturdy form, and pulls his glove back on. He gets out of the car and reaches through to the driver's seat, pulling the woman's lifeless body onto the empty chair. It takes some effort to move her body, and she sits awkwardly on the seat, limbs bent at uncomfortable angles. He arranges her to look as normal as possible, and closes the door. He crosses the empty lot to the service center. The employee behind the counter is staring down at his phone, laughing at something on the screen, and doesn't bother to look up as the man roams the aisles. He grabs a bag of chips and a plastic gas canister, then brings them to the register. The gas station attendant pauses his video and looks up, stifling a yawn. Find everything? Mm-hmm. The man says, pulling out a few bills from his wallet and pointing to the car in the lot. Can you add 50 bucks for gas? The employee nods and rings up the total. He takes the money from the man's gloved hand and gives him back his change. Safe driving, eh? It's pretty bad out there. The man smiles, pocketing the remainder of his cash. I think the worst is behind us. He grabs his stuff off the counter, 
tips his hat back to the kid in thanks, and walks back out to the car. He opens the passenger door, tosses his snack on top of the dead woman, and slams the door shut before turning his attention to the gas pump. He takes the nozzle and pulls it into the bright orange container, filling it to the brim. He puts the nozzle back on the pump, places the container on the floor of the passenger seat, and climbs into the driver's side. He adjusts the seat, the mirrors, and arranges the steering wheel so it's not pressing into his knees before making his way back on to Highway 16. About halfway to his truck, the man pulls the car over, gets out, and walks to the woman's side. He throws his food onto the dashboard and grabs the body by the hair, pulling her out of the car. Her body falls onto the shoulder of the road, and she watches with wide, empty eyes as he grabs the back of her jacket and drags her through the mud to the edge of the ditch that borders the gravel strip and kicks her in. The First Nations woman watches as he drives away in her car, staring after him long after he's gone. Once he gets into his black truck, he dumps the gas into the tank and hops into the cab of the Ford. He leaves the woman's car unlocked and running, not bothering to shut it off before continuing on to Prince George. As the rain finally begins to stop, he can't help but wonder if they'll find her come morning, if someone will see her body, cold and alone, begging to be found like the other 19 were, or if the British Columbian wildlife will devour her body like they have countless others. He looks at the glowing green clock, smiling for the first time in days at how much time he has, and blasts the radio as he flies down Highway 16, (laughs) heading home. Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to Legends, Myths, and Whiskey. You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So far into your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Welcome to the post-show interview. I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story Podcast, and today, floating in a nebulous void of darkness and mystery, is our author, Caitlin Marceau. Caitlin is based out of Montreal. She is both an author and an editor, and has written a ton of things, including several stories already found on the shelves of the Wicked Library. You'd find her stories in the live Halloween special for 2015. In an episode mysteriously titled NL1, Stitches, and on episode 603, Stuck. And now, let's hear from Caitlin. So, Caitlin, welcome to the Wicked Library. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) It's good to have you on. So, first thing I would like to do is you write so much on so many things you've had multiple episodes (laughs) on the wicked library you write for shadows at the door you have a new book that just came out and i'm just if you could kind of dabble verbally into the things that you have been working on i'd love to hear some more. yeah 
Um, yeah, so as well, <laughs> I'm on the Wicked Library. <laughs> um, yeah, and I do stuff for Shadows at the Door. Um, I just had my first co-authored uh, fiction collection come out with M. Regan, uh, who's also a fantastic author and has been uh, featured in Shadows at the Door, the anthology that came out by them last year. Um, and yeah, I have a bunch of other projects that are coming out that I can't really talk too much about. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you can expect to see me on some, some familiar sites. Um, and I'm also going to be in a really cool anthology coming out at the end of this year. Um, it's, from what I understand, uh, a Canadian anthology. It's by a Canadian publisher. Um, but that's pretty much all I think I'm actually allowed to say uh, about that at the moment. Um, and then my fiction collection, uh, well, my co-authored one, it's called Read Only. And it's a collection of digital horror. So it's kind of, I think, going to appeal to a lot of fans who are fans of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Because um, it kind of dabbles in the sort of uncomfortable angle of like everyday technology and kind of the insidious side of it. Um, but it also appealed to people who haven't seen the show. I hadn't actually seen the show going into writing the collection because I didn't want to be influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of looking back at it, I'm like, oh yeah, this will, yeah, people hopefully will like it too. It definitely, because uh, I've now read the whole thing, um, it definitely <laughs> has a Black Mirror vibe, which I enjoy that show because it is, it's, uh it's the classic fairy tale genre but in a technological age exactly (laughs) and it was it was fantastic to read it and just kind of hear these are the fears that we have now as opposed to what's lurking in the woods i mean we still have those but the woods are now digital woods and there you go. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad it wasn't a huge garbage fire. That's no, not at all. <laughs> the challenge for like, me I'm... is now writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck. Em <laughs> um, Regan, I thought she was fantastic. Like she, she wrote something for Shadows at the Door last year in the big anthology uh, called Deep, and it was such a good story. So I was just elated to get to work with her again on this collection and have you know her creative input and her storytelling skills and just. She was wonderful, so I was I was really lucky to get to work with her. How did you two get connected? Was it through Shadows at the Door, or did you like reach out a different way? No, it was uh, it was through Shadows at the Door. I hadn't actually uh, truthfully read her stuff or really heard about her in the horror community before then, um, and then I just had the pleasure of being assigned as her editor for that particular collection. Like she was like the, you know, I was the first editor on that, you know, on the project with her, and I loved her story. Like I. I got it, I read it, and I was like, I don't want to touch this. It's it's amazing as it is. Like, I should not touch anything in this piece. Mm-hmm. So there were, like, a few, like, little minor things I suggested, um, and that was pretty much it. Like, it was a really well-polished, finished uh, finished story for the collection. And then uh, after that was done and the, the whole process had been published and we were finished, I reached out to her later uh, for this collection. I was like, look, I loved your work. I would love to work with you again. Is there any way that you'd be open to collaboration? And she was just such a delight to get to work with. Awesome. <laughs> so how many stories do you work on at a given time? Because you, ha- you, you really, you do write a lot. <laughs> I try to, yeah. Um, at a given time, oh man. So it's actually really interesting. Um, and I guess sneak peek, uh, I'm working on a couple of books right now. So I haven't really been writing as many short stories as I would like to. Um, But normally if I'm working on short fiction, I'll have like five or six pieces kind of going at the same time. Um, Lately it's been more around four pieces or so because I have a website out now called Caribou Chronicles uh, that I'm co-authoring with Chris Holt. Um, He was another author from Shadows at the Door that's a rural fantasy piece. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my time has kind of been dedicated to getting, you know, chapters out on that. And we're going to be doing some really cool things with it that I guess I also can't talk about (laughs) just yet. (laughs) So, you know, leaving that mystery there. Um, But yeah, I usually have like a a good handful of short stories that I'm working on. Uh, Right now, it's significantly less. I only have about two in the queue that I'm working on. um, And I do have two uh, really different books that I'm I'm trying to write right now. So we'll see how that goes. How do you keep the different stories straight in your mind as you're working on them? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's that's the secret. <laughs> Everything is a garbage fire when it comes to that. Um, no, I, I I can actually hear tr- like trees weeping. I have a lot of notebooks that I tend to keep to organize all my thoughts. Um, so I have like one central notebook where I have all of my ideas for projects that I I want to work on and that I am working on. And I'm a big fan of having just like little charts so you can track your progress on what you're doing with each piece. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's really a matter of just like 
being able to visualize the projects you're doing and you have working on. And I think seeing this like stream of creativity is like really inspiring for myself because I'll see all these things I have to get done and I'm you know more inclined to finish the ones I'm working on. So that's kind of a kick in the pants. I need to do it and try to keep track of things. There's just, there's no way. <laughs> it's, it's all being kept track of. There's, there's no universe. I gave up on that. Like, I gave up on that ages ago. There's, there's no way. <laughs> do you ever find yourself working on one story and have another leak into this other one that you're working on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the time. Um, or I'll be working on a story and uh, it was actually really interesting. So I have a piece out uh, called Hunger that was published in Sanitarium originally and has since been featured on Shadows at the Door with like beautiful illustrations uh, by this artist named Barney. And he's just, he's a genius. I love this man. Um, and as I was, you know, working on it, I had like this <laughs> already in my mind, this like sequel developing for it. So I could like see pieces of the sequel kind of leaking into the story and same for I think everything I work on. I'll, I'll start writing the story and I'm like, you know what would be really cool is if this story <laughs> secretly connects. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's kind of like I'll, I'll write it with both stories in mind or I'll have this whole like kind of, I don't want to say universe, but I'll have this whole kind of universe in my mind as I'm writing something. And then during the editing phase, I'll kind of go back and sort of like erase it out because I want to keep each story separate from the other one. I don't necessarily want them to blend all the time. So it's kind of a matter of uh, editing it down and getting rid of it. I'll indulge it first though, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. And I know you, you're a professional editor, correct? Or you I just am, do a yes. lot. You are okay. Uh, I, am, but yeah. I had read that somewhere, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I me- remembered that correctly. But I, yay! <laughs> I read something and remembered it correctly. <laughs> when for it's today? Com- it's all coming together. <laughs> so, as an editor, do you find you are stricter on your own work or on people's work that you're working with? Um. I don't know if I would say I'm stricter with myself. I think I'm, oh man, actually I think I think Mark Nixon <laughs> will attest to this. I'm strict with everybody. <laughs> I am a nightmare for that. Uh, I, you know, when I'm reading a story, I know what works. I can, you know, I know it doesn't work. And I'm not afraid to tell people what I, what I think of it. I think though, I'm a lot more harsh with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that like the standard is different for anybody. It's just like, I guess the way I deliver criticism and the things that I'll nitpick are a lot more intense and a lot less forgiving with myself than other people. Because um, I, you know, I know the criticism's coming from myself because with the best of intentions. <laughs> so uh, I'm able to take it a bit, you know, a bit better for myself. So what's your biggest pet peeve as an editor? Ooh, um, oh man. <clears throat> or top three. I guess three. like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, I guess it depends on like, what I'm editing and kind of what I'm looking at. I guess general pet peeves I think a lot of people face and it happens to all of us is like, you know, the they're their mix up, you know, and the you're your mm-hmm. kind of just mixing up um, whole phones like that. And then I guess just in general though is characters. You know, when you're editing a story, you want to edit like the best story possible. You know, you want to you want to make it stronger. So when I'm editing something and I'm reading it with like really weak characters, a really weak character development. Like it takes you out of the whole editing process because then all I can focus on is the actual content itself that's come in. And I kind of break it down and I'm like, why would you write characters this way? Um, I guess especially because a lot of the time as a female editor, I, I notice it more with female characters and that kind of gets, you know, my blood boiling a little bit. <laughs> so I guess that's the biggest pet peeve is when I'm editing, you know, being taken out of the story by just like poorly written female characters. It just makes me mental. Um, or, you know, weirdly enough too, tense changes. When you're reading a story in present and then it kind of shifts really you know, dramatically to the past tense, uh, that's always a bit annoying, but it, it really does come down to character because it's, it's not something as an editor you can, you know, you can't really fix it because then you gotta rewrite the whole piece. Yeah. You know, so you can give feedback to the writer and you can really, you know, suggest ways around what they've done. And, you know, you can do your best to kind of help showcase that character as best you can in the editing phase. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to how the writer has written it. And sometimes you're just stuck editing stories that you don't especially like because of the characterization, which is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. How? So if you have a story that you really don't like, but you are obligated now to edit it, how do you power through that? Oh, so much coffee and so many breaks. (laughs) And (laughs) 
just Buffy running in the background. <laughs> um, and I usually will, you know, before I finish editing it, I will send an email to the writer and I'll be like, look, I think this is a really well-crafted story. I do not especially think the female characters or the characters in general have been well-constructed. And this is my feedback. And I would love if you could change this just to give them more personality or more life because you're doing a disservice, not just to your story, but to your audience. Um, so I'll try to communicate with them first and kind of touch base with them and see where they are and if they're open to suggestions and I'm happy to work with them and, you know, give them all the feedback I can to make their piece and their people stronger. Um, but if they're really not willing to and it's something that they refuse to budge on and it's just kind of like a contractual edit that I have to do, um, it's really just a matter of like powering through it and taking breaks and just reminding yourself that, you know, for every story that you have that kind of shows women in a poor light, there are like 10 other stories that showcase them fantastically. And it's really just keeping that in mind and, you know, realizing that, you know, you're a professional, it's your job to do this, but mm -hmm. to not do it blindly, to be aware of it. All I have to say is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Editing <laughs> and just the whole process beyond the, the level of just creating something, that next step of how do you really polish it really fascinates me. Um, probably because it's something I personally <laughs> uh, have a weak point for is that second draft. Um, but we'll go well, back to that. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel that one. Yeah. <laughs> the best you is when you start writing something and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Uh -huh. And then you like let it sit, you know, for a couple of days and you go back to it and you're like, oh no. <laughs> How am I published? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find, um, there's a period of time where, for me at least, there's a period of time where I'll write a story, I love it, I read it, I hate it, I fix it, I love it, and then, and then eventually I just hate everything. Is that the oh, same yeah. for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of go through these, like, cycles of, like, loving it and hating it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really funny. I love writing. I absolutely adore it. It's, like, what I love to do. Editing, not so much. Mm -hmm. Because I find like, you know, when you start writing something, at least for me anyways, I kind of get caught up in it and I just want to write it. I don't care if it's perfect, I just care that it's like finished and ready to go and then, you know, I can edit it later. It doesn't have to be perfect as I'm putting it on paper. It has to be perfect before it, you know, gets to print. Um, so the writing phase is just fantastic. It's like this magical period of just like me creating things. And then I get to editing and it's like the soul crushing reality that <laughs> everything I wrote is a nightmare. Um, and just kind of going over that and fixing it up. Um, and I also have uh, a really close friend of mine. Her name is Georgia Papoulias, and she is a fantastic editor. Um, so thankfully I have her. I have her go over my stories and she'll give me some feedback and some direction. And it's really, you know, she's really insightful because you can edit your work as best as possible, but at the end of the day, you always need that second set of eyes to kind of, you know, be like, hey, yeah, that story you wrote, no, undo it, take it, take it back, <laughs> fix it up. Um, <laughs> so she's been just like fantastic to have around and to have to help and just an amazing woman. Um, so yeah, so yeah, no, the editing phase goes from like loving it to absolutely hating it, to loving it again, to seeing it in print and seeing that one typo you wish, <laughs> you wish you'd caught, <laughs> um, to hating the whole thing again, to loving it. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to ultimately end your cycle of love, hate on love, you know, cause if you don't like what's out there, you're going to have a hard time moving forward and writing something new. Um, so even if you have stories you don't like, which I definitely do, I have a few stories out there that I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> to kind of accept that, that, you know, that was where you were at this point in your writing career and you're just going to get better from here. So I try to try to love them all, but I, I do have favorites. <laughs> that makes sense. And then, you know, those, those little half mutant ones are just just a little snapshot of your childhood it was the awkward <laughs> frizzy hair face it's okay <laughs> i look at him like that's when you had your retainer and really bad bangs <laughs> you were going through some stuff <laughs> like it was a rough patch in your life it was a rough 10 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you get through it the braces come off you're gonna be okay <laughs> that's it <laughs> although looking back on my writing i'm like oh wow you just you're always in a rough patch aren't you <laughs> <laughs> your life is a rough patch okay <laughs> that's okay you know what else was a rough patch what that lady in highway 16 she had a rough <laughs> oh, <yeah>. patch <laughs> <laughs> she she had a bad bad little weekend <laughs> a really bad weekend <laughs> <laughs> 
not not a great day. <laughs> no, um, I'm very curious. What was your jumping off point for this story? Ooh, okay. Uh, so, oh wow, so much. Um, there's a <laughs> take the turn for the dark and serious. I guess um, there really is like a Highway 16 in Canada um, where Aboriginal women have gone missing, and there have been you know unsolved cases of you know, just disappearances across Canada of First Nations women and people, and it's something that needs to be looked at closer. It definitely needs to be investigated. You know, we do need to have justice for these women who have gone missing or have been found, you know, to have been murdered. Um, and I guess it was just kind of my way of exploring that a bit more and trying to get people to like look into it. Cause you know, you read a story called Highway 16 and you see this happen. For me anyways, I'm usually inclined to be like, oh, is this a real thing? And to kind of drive some attention towards this like really serious issue. Cause like, you know, it's, it's not okay. People do need to look into this more and there definitely does need to be a light that's, you know, shined on it. So I tried to do that in a weird horror kind of way. I had just uh, being from America, it's not as in the news here, but I had heard about it just as a glimmer. I actually thought it was an urban legend because I didn't investigate it further, but that's terrifying that that is true. And I'm glad it that you is, wrote the yeah. story to bring a little bit more of that to light. Um, Thanks. Because I think I read it somewhere else as like a creepy pasta or something. Ah, so there we go. There. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people are trying to like explore the logic behind why these women have gone missing. And there really isn't any logic other than people are monsters, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is a horrifying thing to say, I guess, out loud. Um, but that really is kind of what it boils down to. So I kind of was like, well, what if this person really kind of was a monster, you know? And uh, changed it from there. But yeah, no, it's a, it's unfortunately a true, a true story in the extent that like, there are, you know, that number of you know women that we know have who have gone missing so far. Wow. Uh, I do anticipate the number will grow because unfortunately stuff like this it always does you know grow. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully they can you know look into it a bit further. I'm curious. I'm gonna look that more up about that uh, after yeah. I get off the phone with you because I'm just yeah. phone Skype. <laughs> Facebook, whatever. Um, get off of talking with you. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just, I, it deserves some more uh, thought and some more attention. I agree with you. And it does, yeah. It should be brought uh, more to light. For sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, they have these beautiful marches and protests and demonstrations across Canada about, you know, this particular issue because it is a huge <clears throat> issue in like the, you know, Aboriginal community and, you know, something that should, you know, be explored more and just in general, you know, there's a, Canada has its own issues, you know, mm -hmm. for the states, and one of them really is, you know, First Nations rights and issues, and I think it's good to have them brought to light because it's something that we sort of take for granted is, you know, done behind us as, you know, as a nation, and it very much isn't. So, yeah, hopefully this kind of, hopefully we get some sort of attention towards it and brings it to light a bit more. Definitely. So everyone listening, if you're even just a little bit curious, look into it. Get educated. Yeah. If that's yes, all please. you do, that's better than nothing. Yes, exactly. Um, and now I'm going to try and swing this into brighter uh, horror territory. <laughs> <laughs> Truth bomb. <laughs> Are you weary yeah. of hitchhikers yourself, actually? <laughs> Am I weary of it? Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> so I'm saw... weary of everybody. <laughs> I've written too many things to like people. <laughs> like I'm just gonna slide cash to the pizza man under the door and be like, leave it in the hall. <laughs> just leave it, <laughs> leave it and run. So a lot of your stories are just like a reflection of your actual fears. <laughs> or they don't start out that way. <laughs> It'll just be like, you know what would be a really creepy story? And then I'll write and I'm like, you know what I'm never doing again? <laughs> Trusting someone. <laughs> <laughs> like, there is a story I wrote in high school about, like, you know, you know how people have, like, a fear of, like, hanging their limbs off of the side of a bed? Yes. Okay, so I had written something based on the story. I never had this fear. I was like, who cares? It's just a bed. I finished writing it, and, like, somehow I took myself down a really dark and uncomfortable road. And then was like, no, I can't ever hang my hand off the side of a bed again. Because <laughs> that's where it all ends. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it doesn't start off as something that I'm afraid of, but I usually end up paranoid by the end of the writing process. <laughs> <laughs> so 
<laughs> you cultivate your own fears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should never be left to my own devices is the moral of this story. <laughs> uh, was there, is there ever been a story that um, you had just mentioned the hand over the bed, but that really affected you in a bad way after writing it? Yeah, actually, I never, okay, so I never actually thought that would be something that would happen to me. Because you hear about writers or actors or, you know, musicians taking on a creative endeavor and being like, wow, that really like hit home, you know, that really bothered me. I was never one of those people. I'm like, sure it did. (laughs) JK, it actually can. Um, I wrote a play um, in my last year of university called Shadow Puppets. Um, And I can't really talk more about that because actually that's uh, one of the books I'm working on. I'm turning it into a a novelization of this particular play. Nice. Um, Yeah, and I'm really excited about it. But when I was writing it, I had to do all of this research and it was just like really dark topics that I had to look up, uh, which I was really, really used to, but it was like all in like close succession. And I don't know, you know, when you like click on one thing and it leads to another and now you're reading like 75 Wikipedia articles on like horrifying stuff. Um, that was kind of me. So by the end of the writing process, like I just felt like I was in a really weird place. Um, I was fine, like, you know, after it was all finished and, you know, hand, you know I turned it in and it was, you know, didn't look at it for a while I you know went back to being happy and stuff and you know, my normal jolly self um but during the writing of it yeah I was like in a really weird weird place uh, so hopefully writing it as a book won't do the same thing <laughs> I don't think it will like I'm able to look at the story and be like oh yeah yeah you know, that was weird <laughs> that was a weird time um but yeah that was probably the one that was the strangest place emotionally for me do you find yourself doing things to bring yourself back out of those really dark places once you've been brought there by your writing? Um, I want to say yes. I want to be like, I have this whole routine. I'm, you know, fantastic. But no, it's, it's, it's kind of like I get to that weird place and I'm like, I'm just going to live here a little bit longer and see what else I can kind of turn up, you know, mm-hmm. kind of create. So I try to, probably not the healthiest thing now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> But I try to stay as depressed and angry with the world as I can <laughs> and just get as much writing done. And then, you know, when I'm done, I guess I you know, eat ice cream <laughs> and, you know, play with my dog and remember things aren't a horrifying garbage fire existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it, you know, for me, anyways, I'm, I'm pretty lucky and able to come out really quickly of stuff like that because um, I do have a really wonderful supportive community of friends and loved ones that you know are always around and always great at picking my my mood back up nice. so it's never like I'm you know never in these like deep dark valleys for long it's just during the writing phase I tend to get in these weird emotional spurts but it's it's good though I find it it definitely helps and it's a good way to work through things too you know so I, I, I enjoy it I, I enjoy being terribly depressed <laughs> <laughs> The greatest. You you sound like you enjoy it, so I guess you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, at the end of the day, like for me, it's never too serious. It really was just like that one, that one story that I found was especially upsetting mm-hmm. because it involves like really innocent childhood themes being turned horrifying and monstrous, and just you know, things that you love coming to get you, basically. So to me, that was like the weirdest one. But everything else, I'm I'm usually pretty okay with. Usually. <laughs> Usually. But, you know, yeah. that's that's okay. I think we all kind of yeah. <laughs> have to work through those things. We all have sad thoughts. It's okay to be sad sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's there. We all feel it. Um, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a writer, what's the best money you've ever spent? Oh, man. <laughs> What is, oh, geez, <laughs> to be honest, uh, oh man, okay. So it comes down to two, <laughs> two drastically different purchases. Um, actually three, there are three really cool purchases I guess I've made off of money for writing. Um, one of them was uh, after I got my current job as an editor, I bought myself uh, a MacBook. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, well, cause I was using a Chromebook, which was, it was fine for what I needed it for. But since I've been expanding the scope of what I do, I needed to get you know a new a new computer, which unfortunately isn't with me at the moment, or else I wouldn't have had all these technical difficulties this morning. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, but it's a uh, yeah that was the one that I bought so I could you know do my work more efficiently and just didn't have to worry about my computer breaking down every three seconds. 
Um, after that, I have a really horrifying shoe addiction. Um, <laughs> so some really expensive vans, I guess, for the next ones. Um, and a tattoo is uh, the next purchase I have for money that I've made off of writing. Um, because I was accepted to the Horror Writers Association a few years ago. Nice. So I kind of had this commemorative, I guess, tattoo for where I was in my career and how proud I was of myself that I just never got around to getting. I got a bunch of other stuff done, but never that. So this year I'm just going to do it, get my little horror tattoo done. Aww. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Exciting well, times. I, I can't wait for the hours of pain ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> that seems appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. I deserve to be stuck with a needle for hours. <laughs> I'm at a really good place emotionally right now, so let's ruin that with <laughs> a long session of mind-numbing needle. Can't wait. It's going to be good. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. So, Caitlin, if people wanted to read more of your work or find you online, where would they be able to find you? Ooh, so they can find me on my website. Um, it's CaitlinMarso.com. It has links to everything that I've written um, and a few podcasts too, like the Book and Library. So you can definitely check me out there. Um, alternatively, if you wanted to kind of see some of my work that I do that isn't horror, which is few and far between, um, you can definitely check out my site, which is CaribouChronicles.com. Um, it's the co-authored series that me and my friend Chris Holt are writing. And we're going to be having some other cool writers uh, in on the project at a later date. Again, I can't talk too much about that. Mm -hmm. But you can expect work actually from M. Regan and the wonderful Mark Nixon from the uh, from, sorry, from Shadows at the Door. Uh, they're going to be on it. <laughs> um, so definitely check that out. It's a rural fantasy set in a fake town in Ontario. Um, it involves some really crotchety caribou people. Um, a teenage wizard who works at a Tim Hortons and two men who wish that they were literally anywhere else. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> it's definitely worth checking out. Definitely different from my normal horror writing, uh, has more, you know, comedic elements to it. So hopefully people enjoy that. Awesome. Well, everybody go check it out. And, uh, Caitlin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us at the Wicked Library and for, you know, taking time to talk to me for a while. <laughs> Oh, man, thank you so much for having me on the show again and for taking the time to listen to my crazy. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me here in the nebulous darkness of nebulousness and mystery. If you would like less mystery and more information, you can find it and all of the links we talked about in today's interview on thewickedlibrary.com, including links to other stories on the Wicked Library by Caitlin. And if you'd like more of my voice and interviews like this, you can find it over in another void of darkness known as the Ninth Story Podcast. Less of a void, more of a space between your ears where we talk about creating story. But you know, until then, I'm just gonna float here and hope the librarian finds me at some point. <laughs> yep. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get Wicked Fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. Recently, the Wicked Library joined a group of podcasters dedicated to producing high-quality shows that are great listening experiences. They include genres from history to fiction to crime stories, but what binds them together is that they explore the darker side. It's a great way to cross genres and discover podcasts you might not have found otherwise. You can head over to darkmyths.org browse podcasts and try out samples and subscribe to the ones you like. 
Not only will you find the Wicked Library in the lift there, but you'll find other great shows. Again, that's darkmyths.org. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thanks to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on the wickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. We dare you. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen.